Amen. If you're thankful this morning that God loves you enough to be near to you today, say amen. So thankful for the love of our God and how faithful he is to us. And you know what? I just want to share with you this morning. I felt prompted by the Spirit to say this before we begin this morning. But I want you to know this morning that not only are you loved by God, but your pastor loves you today. Um, I'm not always good about just standing up here and saying, hey, I really love you and care about you. Um, I am an acts of service kind of guy, so I'll serve you all day long, and I trust that you see by the way that we try to serve you that we love you, but that doesn't make up. I've learned this in my marriage. That doesn't make up for saying it, right? So can I just tell you that I love you today? I care about you. I'm praying for you, and um, you're valuable. We're glad that you're here and glad that God, for what God is doing in your life, and I love you today. If you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we've been, uh, started last week looking at the, in this new sermon series entitled Upside Down Kingdom, and we uh, are looking at um, what God's uh, kingdom lived out looks like today in our world around us. We talked about the fact that last week that when Jesus came, he ushered in the, the kingdom of God. It's not just something that's to come one day down the road, but when Jesus came to this earth, that he ushered in the kingdom of God and all of of its blessings and benefits, all of the things that God has for us came when Jesus Christ came to this earth. I'm glad today to know that all that we need is provided for through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're thankful for that, say amen this morning. So grateful for that today. And as we daily live out our lives in surrender and obedience to God, the kingdom of God is being furthered through us. As, as God brings his kingdom into our life, he furthers it by the way that we live in obedience to him. In every relationship that we have, we can, the kingdom of God can be furthered as we're obedient to him. Here in Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus really begins to paint a beautiful picture of what this upside-down kingdom looks like. And as you read through Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7, you see, we're not going to obviously cover all of that even in this series, but you will see this picture that's radically different from what the world around us, uh, a real, the way that they really live. And I have to remind you from the very, really the very beginning of beginning to look at some of these things, that, that the things that we're going to look at are not a to-do list. Do you have, are you a to-do list kind of person? This that Jesus lists out here, it's not a to-do list, right? Because we can get so caught up in checking the boxes that we miss out on what the kingdom of God is all about. You see, the kingdom of God is all about relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. And when we get the relationship right and we open our heart to the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, guess what? The things that are naturally supposed to happen as a result of opening our heart to Christ begin to happen because we're in love with Jesus and we delight to do his will. Aren't you thankful for that? It's not a burden to live this way, but it's a, it's a privilege. And all we have to do is humbly respond to this call of Jesus and allow his kingdom to come in us. Now, I want you to see this morning, this is what we're going to be looking at today. I want you to see this morning that there is a key to unlocking the kingdom of God in our life. There's a key to unlocking, and, and a key is important. How many of you have ever locked your keys in your car? Come on, raise your hand, right? Probably almost every one of us at some time or another have locked your in your car. I carry a spare key in my wallet. I carry a spare key in my wallet because 
I, lock, I used to lock my keys in my car so many times. And since I started carrying that key, I think I've done it twice. But before that, right, I used to lock my keys in my car a lot. I remember there a few times I was a long way from home. And for whatever reason, I'd pulled my, pulled my keys out, was fiddling around his side, laid them down, hit the button, walked away, and my, my keys were in there. And, and literally, I, I was thinking, I, I kind of began to panic. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, some of you just thinking about the possibility that you could lock the keys in the car. You're looking around, do I have my keys, right? Because you know that feeling. It's like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? But as you're standing there and you feel so helpless because you know that, that, that what you need, the vehicle that you need in order to take you where you know you need to go and where you want to go, all of a sudden you can't get there, right? Can I just tell you that there is a key to the kingdom of God that will take us right where Jesus wants us to live every day in every way. But for, for a lot of us today, we struggle to get this key right. We struggle to get it right. I want you to see this morning that Jesus begins here in verse 3, and he gives us the key to living out this upside-down kingdom life. The key to receiving everything that God has for us is coming to him continually with the right kind of spirit. We have to come before him with the right kind of spirit. That's why Jesus starts out here in verse 3 and says these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I have to tell you this morning again, and remind you again this week, that he's not just talking about eternal life, that we're going to see Jesus someday, but he's talking about this is the key to the kingdom of God right here, right now, today. It's living a life that's poor in spirit. See, Jesus starts right out describing who we need to be. We need to be poor in spirit. This use for poor here means to kind of shrink back or to, or to cower. It's the, it's the word used to describe the beggars of Jesus' day, all right? The beggars in his day. It would be used to describe a, a person who is totally destitute and completely dependable, unable to help themselves. It's a picture, I love this, it's a picture of someone who's holding out one hand, right, before someone else and, and covering their face with the other hand. Right? It's realizing that, that they're in great, great need and cannot support themselves. Don't have any other way to find help. And Jesus, in this context, I remind you, he's not talking about materialism. He's not talking about, about wealth or what we have, being rich or poor. Rather, the person described here as blessed by Jesus is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. As persons were made up of body and Spirit. The Bible tells us that the spirit can live without the body, but the body cannot live without the spirit. The spirit, you know, is our spiritual entity. So when Jesus talks about being poor in spirit, it would mean that the inner spirit, our inner spirit, we realize that we are helpless, that we are destitute, our inner spirit is in poverty, unless Jesus Christ helps us and enables us to be what he wants us to be. That in and of ourselves, we can do nothing of value on our own. And we use a lot of things to distract us from this truth today. Things like physical successes. We have a lot of successes, right, in this world. 
physical successes. It could be in business. It could be building up wealth. It could be in athletics or education. The list goes on and on. Now listen this morning. I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with any of these things, so don't misunderstand me, right? We should work. We should use what God has given us to the best we can, and we should save and be good stewards of wealth. We should excel in athletics. We should, we should get an education and strive to learn more and more each day. I believe God wants us to learn more and more every day, don't you? But we cannot allow the successes in our life, listen, to distract us from the truth. Now here it is, that no matter how successful we are, no matter how powerful we become, no matter how gifted we are, no matter how blessed we've been material, materially, that deep down in our spirit we are completely and must be completely dependent. We are poor. Totally helpless to live out the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live on our own. And you see, a lot of times we try to live out the Christian life in our own power, in our own strength, and in our own wisdom. If you've ever done that, say amen. Right? That's not a big amen, right? That's not a, yeah! That's kind of that, yeah, I've done it. Right? Try to live it out on our own. You see, we spend a lot of time trying in different ways. I've classified it really two ways, and there's a lot of other ways, but we'll just go with these two this morning. Some of us could be described as do-it-yourselfers, right? Some of us could be described as do-it-yourselfers. We won't ask anybody for much of anything. Pride kind of pr- within us says, you know what, I've got this. I mean, we may not say it out loud, but internally we're going, I've got this. I can, I can handle it. Becomes our motto and the rule that we live by. And we think, you know what, I can handle things. I can, I can do things myself. I really don't need anybody else's help. And, and some success in our life can cause this. Some successes in our life. As it mentioned, work life, back to this, work life or education or, or financial successes. It could be success in marriage or in our family or raising our kids. Some of these successes can, come, can, can cause us to become more and more and more dependent on us. Because we begin to take ownership of these successes. And we become prideful, even though we may not say, I, I'm, I'm prideful, The danger is that slowly we become prideful in what we can do, in what we've accomplished, and we feel like we're in a good place, and so we slowly become more and more dependent on our our experience and on our wisdom and on our resources. And the older we get, can I just tell you, as someone who is getting older, we're all getting older, right? Someone who is getting older, the older we get, the greater the danger. The older we get, the more experienced we get. The older we get, the more things that we have. The older we get, the more we've kind of figured things out. And therefore, the older that we get, the more dependent on ourselves that we can become. And then as new situations arrive, instead of asking God for help and wisdom and understanding of his will, God, what would you have me to do? Lord, help me to know your will for this day that lies before me. We begin to make our decisions based on past understanding, based on common sense. Nothing wrong with common sense. But can I tell you that God's will doesn't always lie within the realm of common sense. Just making sure you're there. God's will does not always lie within the realm of common sense. We commit the sin of assumption. 
assuming we know what God wants for us, assuming we know what's best in the moment. I share with our small group uh, Wednesday night, we're talking about humbling. I think God's trying to tell us something, maybe me anyway. I think me anyway. Um, Last Sunday after church, I was talking, you know, I shared this message about the kingdom of God, how God's come to help us, and we need to further the kingdom in every area of our life. And so uh, Michelle was gone last week on a business trip, and so Kendra and I had the girls, and Kendra had taken them and, and was headed home, and it was, I had one job. My job was to stop and run through somewhere and grab some lunch and take home. One job. So I'm pulling in to, to Taco Bell on the west side, and as I pulled in, at the corner of my eye, I noticed this car with the hood up. Now, if you know me, you know that that's a weakness of mine. I, I, I want to try to help if I can. And as I glanced over there, I thought, Brian, you've got one job. <laughs> get the food and get it home, right? And, um, and so I went through the drive-thru, and, and to be real honest with you, I didn't think about it. I didn't pray about it. I just zoomed on around, went through the drive-thru, got through. And when I got through, I, I came around. i be careful how I say this. I, I check the bags before I leave the restaurant because of the 90% rule. See, you get it. 90% of the time, it's not, go okay, I won't say it. Sure enough, some things missing. I pull back around, and the only spot in front of the building, and I'd forgotten about this person, was right in front, right next to the person with their hood up. And I took a deep breath, and, and I said, Lord, do you want me to help? See, I, I assumed I've got things to do. I'm, do. I'm already doing my helping, right? And so I got out, and just as I got out, the guy's just looking right at me. And I said, hey, do you need some help? And he said, he told me what he was trying to do. He said, I've got this part, I'm trying to get it on the car, and da, 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 you know, and I'm going, oh, brother, that's a long, that's a big job. And I said, well, I've got some tools. I'm not sure that I've got what you need. Let me get the food I missed, and I'll be right back. And so I came back out, long story, got, had the tools, handed them to him, and we're talking back and forth. We, I'm not going to necessarily describe him to you. All I'm going to say is we couldn't have been more different. Could not have been more different. He said, are you a mechanic? I said, no, actually, I'm a pastor. Can you believe that? He gave me one look up and down. He goes, actually, yeah, I can. <laughs> we began to talk and began to just ask him about his, himself and his life and invited him to church and had a conversation. A job that normally would have took me by myself probably 30 minutes took him about five. He got that thing on there, got out. I was going back down the road, and as I was driving down the road, I thought, I almost missed it. I almost missed it because I can be a do-it-yourselfer a lot of times. I can commit the sin of assumption, assuming that, you know what, I don't have time. i got to get home. i got to make sure this is taken care of, this is taken care of, this is taken care of. And in all of that, we sang about God's grace this morning. Can I just tell you that one way he extends grace to us is by giving us a lot of second chances if we keep our eyes open. God extended his grace to me, and I had a chance to witness to this person and share with them that, you know what, he'd had a bad ex church experience he shared with me, and I just said, you know what, not every church is like that. And I'll tell you what, God's not like that. He cares about you. I don't know what that'll mean eternally, but I hope and pray, my prayer's been all week, that somehow just those brief words that we have would change his heart about God and the church. Sin of assumption. We can miss it if we're not careful because we're totally, we become so dependent on ourselves that we miss out on that. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving God's truth into my life too because I'm living there. Jesus is pained, I believe, because 
because he knows that even with all that we have, that we're choosing to live so inadequately. With all that we have, with all that we know, with all that we've gained, with all the education and, and maybe materially the wealth and the, and the power within our positions at work and all of it, with all that we've gained, Jesus Christ wants to do so much more through us if we'll just have a spirit that is humble and poor before God and, and, just, and just come before him and say, God, I see all that you've given me, but I don't want to do it myself. I want to be in submission to you and to your will for my life. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. What does that mean? Nothing that matters, nothing that really matters. I'm talking eternal things, folks. Eternally, what matters? Apart from him, we can do nothing. We don't like to hear it, but it's true. Some of us are, are, are dependent on what we can do. Do it yourself. Other, others of us are fixers. Can I? I can be both. <laughs> Others of us are fixers. Instead of admitting our inability and our helplessness, we try to fix. Now think about this. We not only try to fix ourselves, but we try to fix everybody else. Fix our kids and our coworkers. We try to fix our, our families. We try to fix on and on and on. Fix, fix, fix. And the problem is, is that sometimes we have some success. Sometimes we have some successes. Sometimes our fixes work. And then we begin to think, you know what, I'm the answer. I can, I can help. I can, I can fix it. And pride sets in instead of looking to God for answers, looking to him for wisdom and for discernment, not just in our lives, but can I tell you, God can give us wisdom and discernment in how to speak into lives around us. He can give us wisdom and discernment to be the example that we need to be. He, he can use us with, these, with this idea that we can help and that we can fix. But folks, I'm just telling you, it has to be as God, as God leads and as his spirit is poured into our lives. We can't go with just our experience or we miss out on what God's best is in the situation. I'm realizing more and more and more with each passing day that the truth of the matter is this. I can't fix it. I can't fix it in my life. I can't fix it in your life. I said earlier I love you and I care about you. And can I just tell you that when you're pained, my heart breaks. And when you're struggling and going through things, whether it's physically or financially or, or in relationships, can I just tell you that, that my heart is burdened for that. And there's nothing I want more than to somehow figure out how to fix it for you. But the reality is this. I can't do it. And the reality is this. You can't do it. The true fix that we need in our life can only come from Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can receive the true fix that we need is if we're poor enough in spirit to say, oh, I need you, Jesus. I need you to work in my life, in my situation, to realize that our fix, as much as people around us love us and care about us and want to help us, our fix is not going to be found out here. Our true and lasting eternal fix can only be found through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you believe that, say amen. It's true this morning. The great part is, is when he fixes, when his, work, when his fix works in our life, we can look at one another, and the glory doesn't go to you, and the glory doesn't go to me. All the glory goes to Jesus. He's done the work. And we can praise him and we can glorify him and we can lift him up for the provision that he gives us each and every day.
fixers and do-it-yourselfers, we need to come together this morning and have a humble spirit and ask God to guide and direct us. Be poor in spirit. And as we do, Jesus will lead us and guide us. I want you to see Jesus describes who we need to be, but he also accepts us as we are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The great news today is that no matter where we are, no matter what we have or don't have, think about it, no matter where we've been or what we've done, no matter what we've yet to do or, or, or haven't yet done, as we lay aside our, our pride and as we humble our heart before God, he accepts us just as we are. In other words, no matter how many times we've tried to fix it and got it wrong, no matter how many times we've committed the sin of assumption and just moved right on with our day, assuming that we know what it is that we need to do, we can come before God humbly and trust for him to work in our life. He waits for us. James chapter 4, verse 6, familiar scripture to you probably. It says, God opposes the pr proud but gives grace to the humble. I'm glad this morning that his grace is extended when we come before him with a spirit that is humble. When we pull off the mask, when we lay aside the successes and the titles and the greeds, and when we offload the pride and just be honest with God and ourselves for a moment, our greatest need is to be dependent upon him for all that we need. And when we come to him, he doesn't He's not exasperated. I think sometimes we feel like that, that God expects us, just there's certain things he just expects us to do it on our own, and if we've not done all that we think we can do, that somehow he's exasperated or, or put off when we come to him. I want you to know that Jesus longs for us to come to him. His greatest desire is that we humble ourselves before him. He has arms wide open. I couldn't think of a strong enough way to put it. All I could think of is Jesus is eagerly hoping and that, feels, that falls so far short of, of how he really feels. It's not just eagerly hope, but it's eagerly hope and hope and hope and hope, right? That we will come to him with all that we are facing and going through. And that he'll help us to see that we could accomplish so much more than we ever could on our own. If we live with every heartbeat saying, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I need you. One of the greatest examples, I believe, in all of Scripture of living out this, this life that's poor in spirit is the example of the early life of King David. As you know, David started out as a shepherd boy. He was anointed king of Israel long before he was able to ascend the throne, right? He knew what was coming down the pike. And yet day after day after day, as he waited upon God's timing, as he waited upon all of these things to come into his life that were promised, as he grew in stature and in wisdom and in power, David continued to keep a humble heart before God. He continued to be poor in spirit. Even after Goliath, remember David slays Goliath, and even after that, he's still, and he's still waiting be, to become king. All of these wonderful things that happened to David, and yet in 1 Samuel 18, 5, we're told this. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. All of these successes, what happened to David? He continued to be promoted. 
He continued to be lifted up. In fact, in, in, in verse 16 of, of, of 1 Samuel 18, it says, But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. He was victorious. I mean, if anybody had the right to have a little pride, if anybody had the right to kind of start strutting around a little bit and say, Hey, I, I've, I've got this war thing down. I mean, I know how to go to battle. I know how to take care of the enemy. I mean, look at the promotions I'm getting. I mean, I've arrived. I'm there. Everybody loved him. He was successful. But with all the victories and with all the accolades, he never forgot whose he was. He never forgot who he belonged to. He stayed humble and he listened to God's leading in every situation. In fact, if you remember the story, Saul becomes very jealous of David because of the way that people are treating him and because of all the victories that he has. And he tries to kill David a number of times, and yet David stays humble before God. God to trust him, God to protect him. In fact, we know if you, if you look at it in 1 Samuel chapters 24 and chapters 26, what you're going to find is on two different occasions, David had prime opportunity and support to take the life of Saul. I mean, this would have solved everything. David was a warrior. He had killed others in battle. He could surely handle this, right? And he was urged by the people around him to even do it so that once and for all, he could stop being chased and begin to live the life as king. But if you know the story, it was simply not God's plan and the only thing that kept David from crossing that line, I believe, was that David was humble in his spirit. That David, after, even after all of these great victories, was still sensitive to the voice of God. And he wanted to be obedient to him. And as a result, David was blessed. And God handled it perfectly. As you know, if you know the story, after, after not too long, David does become king. God takes care of Saul in a different way. David becomes king. And even as king, David would face battle after battle after battle. I mean, lots of things going on. But in 2 Samuel chapter 5, remember, all of these things have happened. Now David's king. He's had lots of victories in his life. I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. 2 Samuel 5 verse 18. Here's what it says. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, Go, for surely, the hand, for, for surely I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. Now if you know the life of David, you know this. David knew the Philistines inside and out. He knew his enemy. He'd lived with them. He'd studied them. He talked to them. I mean, they'd been around. David knew them. David had won all of these battles, right, in the past. So many victories he had. And yet when David faces the enemy, what's the first thing that he does? David inquires of the Lord. David is humble enough in his spirit that he says, you know what? I'm not going to take one step. I'm not going to assume anything. I'm going to look to God to provide the wisdom and the help that I need. Beautiful picture, isn't it? The really neat part is, if you look down just a few more verses, in that very same chapter, we hear these words. Verse 22. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. Same valley, same enemy. So David inquired of the Lord. 
And he answered, do not go straight up. This is God. Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, quick, move quickly, because that, that will mean that the Lord has gone out in front of you to st- strike the Philistine army. Same place, same enemy. David does the same thing. He doesn't make any assumptions. He doesn't count on past wisdom. He doesn't count on past experience. He doesn't count on past victory. He comes before God once again and says, God, what would you have me to do? He humbles himself before God. And as you see, God works in a completely different way to deliver David this time. Don't make assumptions. Don't let pride slip in. Come to Jesus right where you are. Humble yourself before him every single day, asking him to guide and direct your life so that you can be used for the kingdom of God effectively every day. Which leads me to that Jesus blesses us right where we are. He blesses us right where we are. Are. When we humble ourselves and we admit that we need him, he ushers himself into our life and blesses us with all of himself. We have to ad- admit that we, that we need him. We have to have this spirit of humility and know that apart from him we can do nothing. One of the terms that came up in our group Wednesday night was pursue humility. And I thought, what a great thing to pursue. Pursue humility, Right? Run after God humbly. Stop worrying about what everybody else is going to think. Do you ever get caught up in worrying about what everybody else is going to think? See, we, we think about it. Now, adults, we don't talk about it a lot, right? You know, when we're, when we're younger and teenagers, I think, struggle with this, the peer pressure, and we talk about that a lot. But can I tell you that it doesn't matter how old we are today, we worry about what other people think. That's another one of those, amen, pastor, yes, We worry about what other people think. Had David worried about what other people thought, I don't believe he would ever have defeated Goliath. He would have never circled around behind the enemy and listened for the sound of troops in the balsam trees if he was worrying about what everybody else thought. That was was the craziest uh, tactic ever, right? And the list goes on and on. But we worry a lot about what other people think. In, in, in services like this, I mean, the Holy Spirit is so, aren't you thankful for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts? I mean, so many of you comment so often about just how the Lord spoke to you, and, and I praise God for that. But how many times in services just like this does the Holy Spirit speak to our heart, calling us to himself, calling us to to maybe come and kneel before him, calling us to some kind of change or response. And yet so often, what do we do? We hold back. And why do we hold back? Because a lot of times we're worried about what somebody else might think about us. Can I just tell you that that's pride in our life? You see, we don't think about it being that, but that's what it is. You see, we have to come to a point in our life where we're poor in spirit, where we don't care what anybody else thinks or really what anybody else does. Our greatest desire is to live in harmony with the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
that he would direct us and guide us. And that as we seek him with all of our heart, and as we obey those promptings, guess what? It's the key. It ushers in. It ushers in the kingdom of God into our life in fresh ways in those moments. And whether those are here or whether those promptings come uh, throughout our week, when, when it's a time that we need to draw away and pray or God's calling us or, or speaking to our heart like me to, 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 to pull in there and ask the question, whatever it might be, we have to be humble enough in our heart that we're saying, God, I want you to lead me and guide me and direct me. I don't care about what everybody else thinks. I want to do your will. When we become determined to be poor in spirit, when we choose to pursue humility in our lives, the kingdom of God will not only be ushered into us, but it will be furthered through us because we're going to walk in harmony with his will every moment of every day. And can I remind you, as I shared last week, all of the unlimited resources of heaven are available to us when we humble ourselves before God and open our heart to him. There's a beautiful um, verse of scripture just after David becomes king and, and, and the, some of the wars that he was fighting are finally over. He is now in, in the palace and, and he's praying and calling out to God. And, and this is a verse of scripture that's within that prayer. 2 Samuel 7, 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? I thought, what a beautiful prayer of, of humility. God, I mean, here's David, right? King David. Oh God, who am I and who is my family that you have blessed us so very much. I thought, what a great prayer for us to start with today. God, we've only made it this far because of you. Isn't that what he's saying? We've only made it this far because of you. We, we've only made it through the circumstances that we've made it through, God, because you're the one that's been there. And God, even though I haven't always got it right, and even though I've been a fixer and I've been a do-it-yourselfer, and even though that I've assumed a lot of things, God, I'm only this far because of what you've done. And God, if you'll, if you'll help me, if you'll help me, I, I want to I live different from today forward. I hope that's my prayer. I want to be poor in spirit. I read a story this week. Max Lucado tells it about how a while back he partnered with uh, Michael W. Smith for a ministry weekend in Asheville, North Carolina. The, tre the retreat was held at the Cove, which is a, a beautiful setting that is owned and, and maintained by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It was a few hours before the event, and, and Max Lucado and Michael W. Smith had set a time to, to get together and meet so that they could kind of put their thoughts together as far as the, what the weekend was going to look like. And so that time had come, and they sat down together. Max said as the meeting began, he could tell that Michael was very distracted. And he said finally that he looked over at Michael and said, you seem like you're distracted, what's going on? And Michael began to share the story. He said, I, I just left a meeting with Billy Graham. Wouldn't it have been awesome to just sit down and meet with Billy Graham for a little while? He said, I, I just had a meeting with Billy Graham. And at the time, Billy, Billy Graham was 94 years old. And he said, as they met, uh, Reverend Graham's thoughts turned to what might be said about him at his funeral. And they began to talk about that. He told Michael that what he hoped was that his name would not be mentioned 
at his funeral. But his name would not be mentioned. Michael said, what do you mean that your name wouldn't be mentioned? Billy Graham said, I hope only that the name of the Lord Jesus would be lifted up. Think about this. Billy Graham preached to 215 million people in person. 215 million people in person. He, he ministered to probably millions of others through the media. He filled stadiums on every single continent in the world. He's advised every U.S. president from Truman to Obama. He's been on, consistently on the top of the world's most admired list. Yet he didn't want to be mentioned at his own funeral. You see, he knew. He knew where all the wisdom, all the power, all the strength, all the understanding, all the opportunities, he knew where it all had come from. And at the end of his life, as he's reflecting back on it all, he says, I must decrease because he must increase. And I wonder, what if, what if we could capture that spirit in our own lives? God, it's not about me. It's all about you. God, it's not about what I can do. Lord, you've gifted me. You've helped me. You've given me wisdom and experiences that I can tap into. But, Lord, it's not about those things. It's about, it's about living every day knowing that you're guiding that. Now, Lord, that may be in the chest of things that I can pull from through your spirit. But, Lord, that's all surrendered to you. So whatever you want to do today, I want to be guided and directed by you. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven right now, today, in this moment, available to us. We'll just obey what God has in our lives. Would you stand with me this morning, please? Pastor Travis is going to come. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before you this morning. We do so realizing that we need you. That you are the answer this morning. Father, would you forgive us today for the sin of assumption would you forgive us today of trying to do it on our own and trying to fix everything before we come before you? And Lord, today I pray that you would help us to have a spirit that recognizes that you want to help us if we'll just be tender-hearted to your voice. Draw us to you this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name.